Hello, this is Shoshana Pupka with the Ahava Torah Women's Parshat HaShavua discussion group with the two parshiot of Tazria and Mitzora. We continue discussing the laws of ritual purity and impurity, which include a woman's status after childbirth, discharges that emanate from the body of a man or a woman, and sara'at, which is often erroneously translated as leprosy, but is more accurately a condition of spiritual impurity, which is manifested physically on the body and objects of a person. While the ramifications and applications for so many of these laws are not applicable without a Beit HaMikdash, their lessons are truly timeless, and dare I say, more critically needed today than ever before. Rabbi Sachs addresses the topic of tzarat and the destructive speech that causes it. And I have to admit that I was a bit skeptical, wondering whether Rabbi Sachs would have something novel to say about a topic that we've heard so much about. How many programs and campaigns have we participated in? How many speeches and books have we heard and learned on this topic? And yet, Rabbi Sachs, with his deep wisdom and humility, offers an analysis that is insightful as much as it is inspiring. It left me feeling that we really can do better and that we really must do better. Allow me to share with you Rabbi Sachs's thoughts. He begins by paraphrasing the work of Ruth Benedict, an anthropologist who distinguishes between two kinds of societies, guilt cultures and shame cultures. In shame cultures, what matters is the judgment of others. Acting morally means conforming to public rules and expectations. You do what other people expect of you. You follow society's conventions, and what matters is how you appear in the eyes of others, your image. And if you fail, there are social consequences, which include shame and disapproval, and sometimes ridicule and even humiliation. In guilt cultures, what matters is not what other people think, but the voice of your conscience. Living morally means acting in accordance with you shall and you shall not, because what matters is what you know to be right and wrong. And in situations where you've done wrong but still managed to keep your public image intact, you will still feel uneasy because guilt is inner torment, unlike shame, which is public embarrassment. Rabbi Sachs points out that Judaism is a guilt culture, espoused beautifully by a pasuk in Sefer Shmuel, ki lo asher yir'eha adam. God doesn't see as man does. Ki ha'adam yir'eh la'inayim v'hashem Man looks at the outward appearance, at that which is visible, but God sees into the heart. And appreciating the distinction between guilt versus shame cultures is what allows us to talk with depth and with complexity about the laws of tzarat. Because the public manifestation of tzarat on a person's home and personal items as well as on a person's body is a rare appearance of public shaming in a Torah that fights against shame-based cultures. Listen carefully to Rabbi Sachs's words 
And I'm going to quote at length because I myself don't have the, temp the temperament or the life experience which permits me to speak, as does Rabbi Sachs. And as you listen to his words, remind yourself of Rabbi Sachs's character, Zichrono Livracha, may he rest in peace. He was a leader who chose his words carefully. He crafted his ideas with humility, with an open mind, and with a keen understanding of human nature. Rabbi Sachs writes, the nature of the punishment testifies to the sin that provoked it. It was a sin that sought to hide and therefore it was made public. It was as if God were saying, if you sin in private, I will advertise your guilt and malice to the public. It was a sin that sought to make someone else a pariah. Therefore, one who committed it was made a pariah as the punishment for Lashon Hara was to be temporarily excluded from society by public exposure, shame, and ostracism being forced to live outside the camp. It is difficult, perhaps impossible, to punish the malicious gossiper using the normal conventions of law, those being courts and the establishment of guilt. This can be done in the case of Motsi Shemra, because those are cases of making a false statement. But Lashon Hara is more subtle. It is done not by falsehood, but by insinuation. There are many ways of harming a person's reputation without actually telling a lie. Someone accused of Lashon Hara can easily say, I didn't say it. I didn't mean it. And even if I did, I didn't say anything that was untrue. The best way of dealing with people who poison relationships without actually uttering falsehoods is by naming, shaming, and shunning them. Tzarat happens to a person not because society had expressed its disapproval, but because God was signaling to society that it needs to do so. Let's pause for a moment. For, for those who may not know, I was quite a zealot in my younger years, decrying this and denouncing that, and I probably would have made a copy of Rabbi Sachs's words and posted it on my wall. And life experience combined with true role models has taught me temperance, moderation, and restraint. And reading these words from Rabbi Sachs shook me. They even made me feel to some degree uncomfortable because Rabbi Sachs has relayed God's request of us as a society to reject those who tear at the fabric of the community with their words and to do so publicly and to fully appreciate this very difficult mandate, let's return to a few more of Rabbi Sachs's words. He writes, nothing could do more to damage the kind of nation God was inviting B'nai Israel to become, a nation defined by their collective experiences in Egypt and in the wilderness, a community built on shared memories, hopes, and expectations, a nation committed to collective responsibility. Speech is what holds society together. Language evolved among humans precisely in order to strengthen the bonds between them so that, so that they could cooperate in larger groupings. What sustains cooperation is trust, 
which is what encourages me to make sacrifices for the group, knowing that others can be relied on to do likewise. And this is precisely why Lashon Hara is so destructive. It damages relationships while eroding and undermining the trust that families and communities depend upon. It makes people suspicious of one another and weakens the bonds that hold the group together. And if left unchecked, Lashon Hara will destroy any group it attacks, a family, a team, a community, even a nation. Hence, it's uniquely malicious character. It uses the power of language to weaken the very thing language was brought into being to create, namely, the trust that sustains the social bonds. When I think about these words from Rabbi Sachs, they give me great pause. Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon taught us, L'chol zman ve'et. There is a time for everything, even a time to take a public stance against, corros against corrosive elements in the community. Allow me to share two final brief points. The first is a question that you may be thinking, which is how can individuals and a society grow if we can't share negative truths about one another? Are we meant to live a facade, pushing under the rug all of our individual and collective mistakes? The Torah is very clear that the answer to this question is no. There is a directive of sharing Lashon Hara Litoelet for a constructive purpose, and in those instances, it is even a mitzvah to share. And there are clear criteria that define what constitutes a constructive purpose, the details of which are too lengthy to elaborate upon here. But suffice it to say that if individually or collectively we become stronger and more united or feel more supported and loved, then we're on the right track. The second point addresses Lashon Hara specifically as it relates to those in public roles. There's a Midrash in Sefer Dvarim which states that Moshe Rabbeinu was often the subject of Lashon Hara. If he left his tent early, people said that he must be fighting with his wife. And if he left his tent late, they said he must be plotting against them. This Midrash highlights the notion that those in public positions are fair game for Lashon Hara. It's almost as if they should know that it comes with the territory. And Rabbi Sachs' analysis of this Midrash is that the Lashon Hara that Moshe was subject to and the Lashon Hara that so many public figures are subject to destroys the fabric of community and the authority on which leadership depends. I began by sharing that after reading Rabbi Sachs' words, I felt that we can do better and that we must do better. And after sharing his thoughts, I feel it with even more clarity. God has bequeathed us with the gift of language. Let's use it to build, to connect, to agree to disagree, and as a tool that enables us to have pride in ourselves and most importantly, in each other.